This episode of The Zealous Podcast is sponsored by Perform Better. Perform Better is the leader in functional training by supplying innovative products and top-notch education to trainers, coaches, and therapists. Check out the brand new Perform Better app designed for professionals who want to stay on top of their game. This free app features education from the world's best. You'll learn from industry leaders including Mike Boyle, Gray Cook, Sue Falzoni, Charlie Weincroft, and many more. Topics range from strength and conditioning, program design, nutrition, business, and marketing. Just go to performbetter.com. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Zealous Podcast. I'm Rocky Snyder, and in the house is Emily Zeller. Now, Emily is like myself. She's a certified strength and conditioning specialist through the NSCA, which is the National Strength and Conditioning Association. And here I am in a little studio in Santa Cruz, California. Yeah, I'm living the life. I like to snowboard and surf and, and it doesn't get any better, but she's got a job that I'm kind of a little jealous of. She's the assistant strength and conditioning coach for the Denver Broncos. How about that? Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor to be here. Ah, oh, well, the honor's mine. I mean, this is cool. Yeah, we can talk about, you know, breaking the glass sideline or ceiling or however you want to say it and getting women into the NFL is awesome. Not only are we going to have, you know, by the time this airs, the Super Bowl has already happened. And in that time, we have had two female coaches with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and one female NFL referee out there on the field. So I just love the fact that the doors are opening and, and you're one of the, the, the names that's helping to, to open it for more people. So I guess let's just talk about that. Let's just talk about the elephant in the room. And then I want to hear all about some other stuff. But how is it that you became a strength and conditioning consultant or coach, strength and conditioning coach for the Denver Broncos? Yeah, so before we get into to my specific journey, you know, with the Denver Broncos, I do want to go back and touch on what you said about the two coaches, uh, you know, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, because they're two women who I've looked up to, you know, prior to my time in the NFL. And they're two women that, you know, I had reached out to along the way. And they're, you know, a big reason of why I didn't give up on my dream of working in male professional sport is because I saw that they were already doing it. And that showed me that, you know, it really was a possibility for me um, and to not give up on that dream. And so I hope, you know, following in their footsteps that I can hopefully be that vision, you know, for either little girls or other women, you know, within, within the field that do want to work in male pro sport and don't necessarily think it's possible. But now that there's more and more of us that are doing it, hopefully that allows them, you know, to see it just like um, MJ and Lowe with the Buccaneers, you know, allowed me to see it. So I couldn't be I more excited for so. them. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, my, my daughter is just kind of an example of that. She was in high school football. She's finishing up and graduating this year. Unfortunately, no season this year, but last two, she was on the field with the rest of the guys, only That's one. Awesome. So, you know, there, there are the, the young athletes that are seeing what you you professionals are doing at that level and where she wants to go with this is of course athletic training and strength conditioning so you're you're leading the way you're not the only one of course but you're definitely there so kudos to you thank so, you know that's that's awesome about your daughter uh if that was an option when i was in high school i definitely would have played football <laughs> yeah but you uh but you did well she played soccer also and she was okay. a goal she was a goalkeeper you're you're a keeper too weren't yeah you? yeah 
Now, where, where did you go to school? Because we'll, okay, we'll get into the Bronco stuff in a second, <laughs> but where, where did you, where were you a goalkeeper? Man, so my, my story in college is a little bit, um, you know, not a traditional path. So I started out at University of Oregon and was there my freshman year and then transferred to University of Missouri. Um, it was at Mizzou my sophomore year, ended up getting hurt at Mizzou and can no longer play, um, but had an opportunity from there to transfer a second time um, and finish school at Arizona State but to spend two years as an intern at the original athlete's performance before it became Exos um, and kind of get a jump start on my career. And so, um, you know, I chose to do that. What year was that where you were at uh, API? Uh, 2008 to 2010. Oh my gosh. I honestly think that I might have gone through the doors while you were interning there. Great facility for those not in, not familiar with Athletes Performance Institute in Arizona. Mark Verstegen was the one who started it. And basically, you want to talk about the who's who's of athletes that train there in the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA. I mean, even NASCAR. You'll have a whole bunch of athletes go through that program. What a great what a great platform to launch from. How was that? It was an amazing experience. Like you said, I couldn't have asked for a better opportunity. And while I was at Mizzou, um, Dr. Brian Mann was my strength coach for our soccer team. Okay. And uh, Dr. Mann, you know, said, hey, Em, you know, I know you're done. Your playing days are over. And I did have an opportunity to stay there as a team assistant and keep my scholarship. Um, but Coach Mann at the time, um, he knew that this is the field that I wanted to go into and said, Hey, if I can get you connected to an internship at athletes performance, you know, would you be interested in that? And so I jumped all over it and it was really during that experience that that solidified that this is what I want to do. Um, you know, and working in, at the professional level became the long-term goal for me, um, you know, a decade ago. So. Fabulous. Hey, you, you got your certification as a strength and conditioning coach at that time too. No. So, oh. so yeah. So a little bit of like a plot twist. Uh, it definitely has not been a linear path. So after that experience at athletes performance and after I got done with undergrad, um, I somehow ended up working more with general pop for a few years. And at the time I thought it was going to be very temporary, ended up having a lot of success with it and kind of stayed in that realm working with athletes, a handful of athletes, um, but mostly in with general pop and running training departments for a lifetime and different big fitness companies. And I kind of had a realization um, four years ago now, like, what am I doing? This isn't, you know, this is great, but this isn't the big picture. This isn't the long-term goal. And so I put together a plan. And at the time I didn't have my CSCS, I didn't have my master's. And I knew that, Hey, if I, if I really want to go after working in pro sport, I need those two things. Um, you know, to even have an opportunity to do so. And so um, from there, you know, obviously um, became certified, you know, as a strength and conditioning specialist through the NSCA and got my master's in applied exercise science, strength and conditioning um, through Concordia, Chicago. Nice. Uh, so 
you you say general pop right and we're talking everyday people coming in and personal training or exercise instruction it's a completely different world compared yeah. to <laughs> training actual professional athletes whose job it is to train or a big part of it a big component not only how they perform on the field but a, how they train on and off the field in the weight room they are so much more compliant so in, in some ways, I'm not going to say you have an easier job now by any stretch of the imagination, but, but it's really hard to periodize programs for general population because that is not their goal. So it, it must have been just like, oh, I have found what I want to do when you switched over into the professional sports realm, I imagine. Yeah. So like you mentioned, you know, working with Gen Pop is very different than working with professional athletes and I do feel like there are a lot of, you know, skills and things that I've been able to translate during my time, you know, working with General Pop and during my time running training departments, you know, managing a staff of 40, 40 coaches, you know, working with different personality types. Those are all have become a skill set that I definitely feel like has helped me have success, um, you know, at this level when you're working with, you know, different personalities, you know, amongst um, a team and, um, but prior to getting back at, into the pro level or kind of getting my foot in the door, I did spend time at UCSD in San Diego as well. Um, so went from gen pop back to the collegiate setting and then had an opportunity uh, with the Knicks. And then that led me here to Denver. So it's been well, a journey. <laughs> so you were in San Diego and somehow you landed in New York City Yes. Uh, being a strength coach with the New York Knicks. So there's, Correct. okay, so where was that? From? I mean, <laughs> how, I don't think there's a San Diego, New York strong connection there. At least I haven't heard of it. How the heck did that happen? Yeah, so it was during my time at UC San Diego, and that was right around the time after I became certified through the NSCA and finally, you know, got my CSCS and began as a volunteer at UCSD because I knew that I needed to gain more recent experience working with athletes after spending, you know, the last few years prior to that working with, you know, everyday people. And so it was during that time that part of my plan essentially to try to break in um, to the prof professional sports world was just blindly reaching out to strength coaches within the NBA, within the NFL, just putting myself out there asking about you know, potential internship opportunities or, or anything that, you know, they were willing to offer. And I didn't expect, you know, to, to get many responses at the time. And it turned out I got a handful of them and New York, New York was one. And um, that kind of led me, you know, to that opportunity um, as a seasonal assistant strength conditioning coach with the Knicks um, during the 2019, 2020 season. You know, it's, it's interesting because if you, for, for other industries, if, if you have the leaders in the field and you are entry level, let's say, it's very hard to connect with those. But yeah. fortunately for our industry, it, it's not quite the same. I mean, everyone wants to share a certain amount and we all started at the ground level and know how hard it is to move on up. So those that are in those positions are so much more willing to be open to see who's coming by. So it, for me, Emily, it doesn't surprise me that you got more than just one offer from the Knicks. 
Um, every time I reach out to strength and conditioning coaches, whether it's the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball, more often than not, they they reply right back and they say, oh yeah, what's going on? I'd love to learn more about what you're doing. So it's, it's, it's almost surreal in a way because yeah. I don't know about you, but growing up with professional sports and watching them on TV, you think there's no way these guys are going to want to talk right. to you, right? But suddenly they're like, of course, yeah, what yeah. do you want to do? So that's so great. So how long were you with the Knicks? So I was with the Knicks. Um, I moved to New York at the start of the 2019-2020 season, so just, just this past season. Oh, how um, wonderful. What timing was that? Yeah. Could you have planned it <laughs> any worse? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, so moved to New York in September of 2019 and was there for training camp uh, and for, you know, our season. And then suddenly, you know, COVID hit. And I remember, you know, the exact day, March 11th of 2020, that the NBA season was suspended. And at that time, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if it was going to be for a couple of weeks or, you know, longer than that. We had no idea that it would, you know, turn into what we're dealing with today. Um, and so during that time, we were waiting, essentially, you know, is our season going to resume? Is it going to be over? Um, you know, there was talk of the NBA bubble starting to develop and, you know, it weren't, probably wasn't going to be all the teams, you know, only the top 22 out of the 30 teams were going to be in the bubble. And unfortunately, you know, we weren't, we weren't in the top 22 um, at that point in the season. So I kind of, you know, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, you know, you couldn't have timed that any worse, but I tried to look at it from, you know, I had two, two mindsets um, and two perspectives that kind of ways I could have gone with it. You know, one way would be thinking like, poor me, you know, I finally made it to the pro level, which has been my dream. And now our season got shut down and now, you know, what am I going to do? Um, but I chose to kind of go about it and try to take the approach of what, what can I do to make the best of the situation and use this experience with the Knicks um, and use it as leverage, you know, to, to hopefully gain experience in another professional sport and continue to develop my skill set um, as a coach. And so being that I had some success when I reached out to NBA teams, you know, I knew that NFL training camp was starting, um, you know, towards the end of the summer. And at this point, a lot of us ended up getting furloughed um, on the, with the Knicks because we were done, you know, there wasn't anything going on, which yeah. I completely, you know, understood. And um, so decided to contact every single head strength and conditioning coach within the NFL um, and kind of said, hey, you know, here's a situation. I, you know, I was working with the Knicks. Our season, you probably, as you probably know, um, you know, has been suspended and I would love to gain experience working in the NFL. Is there any opportunity for me to volunteer my time during training camp? And the first round of emails, uh, you know, I got a couple of responses back, but not too many. Um, but I created a spreadsheet to kind of track all the all the days I reached out, who responded, who didn't, setting reminders for follow-up days, um, that type of thing. So it was really organized and that helped me out a lot. And it was after that second round of emails reaching out to coaches that I actually heard back from 27 out of the 32 teams, not necessarily with you know, hey, come work for us, but at least with, hey, this is, you know, we, 
so impressed that you took the time to do this and you know we don't have anything now but we're going to keep your resume for the future you know that was a lot of the responses but just the fact that they took the time you know to have that conversation with me um you know really kind of gave me hope you know for the future of women you know within the field especially yeah um, and then there were a handful of teams that you know said hey let's talk you know about training camp opportunities um etc and so at that same time, I learned about something called the Bill Walsh Diversity Fellowship, which is a yeah. program um, through the NFL that allows minority coaches as well as women uh, to gain experience, you know, with an NFL team during training camp. And so I ended up um, during that process, you can list the top five organizations that if you were selected for the fellowship of, of who would be your ideal top five teams that you'd want to work for. And so I listed Denver, you know, as my top organization, um, primarily due to coach Lando and his reputation in the field. And I thought he'd be someone, you know, great to, to learn from and to work with. And so that's kind of long story, uh, how I ended up, uh, in Denver for camp. That's fantastic. And, you know, you're, your story, there's some commonalities with a lot of the other strength coaches in, in the professional world of sports that I've spoken to and asking, you know, how they got to where they were. And, and some things just continually ring true, which is volunteer, look for internships, wherever I need to go, whatever I need to learn, be willing to go wherever they send you. And it sounds like exactly like for from Oregon to Missouri to San Diego to New York, then to Denver, you went all across the country uh, following your passion and your pursuit. And, and what a great story that is to, to have such a, a, I won't say a happy ending because you're continuing with this, but a happy <laughs> stopover point at least yeah. right now. How is it comparing in, in the time that you had with the Knicks? Granted, it wasn't a full season. I'm sorry they didn't make it for the playoff bubble. My team did, but they didn't last that long either. But we won't talk about that too much. Um, I've talked about previous episodes with the, the Lakers guy there. We won't talk about it very much right now. But anyway, how is it comparing training the NBA players come, uh, to the NFL players? Obviously, the number of players on one team yeah. is so much bigger than the other. But when it comes down to it, the nuts and bolts of it, is it, how much of a difference is it? Yeah, so I think the biggest difference for me and the biggest adjustment at first was just like you said, the sheer number of players, you know, on an NFL roster compared to an NBA roster, it's four times the size, you know, if not a little bit more. And so I think coming from the NBA, when you're in that more intimate setting, you know, with 15 to 20 guys, and then now all of a sudden you have 80 guys, it just takes longer to establish those relationships with each athlete, um, you know, individually and to get that time with each person, you know, one-on-one -on -one for them to really get to know you and you for you to get to know them um, and what their specific, you know, needs are. Um, but then obviously the demands of the sports are very different um, as far as, you know, movement qualities, um, you know, and, and demands on the court compared to on the field. And so training from a programming perspective you know, does look different as well. 
Oh, I imagine. I mean, because <laughs> if you're if you're a point guard or you're center, you still need to do basically the same thing. I uh, work on your shots, work on endurance, your speed down the court, your your vertical jump. All those things are are you know they're going to be a little bit different here or there, but. With a football team, first of all, who knows who's getting traded and who's coming up from the practice squad, who's going back down. The continual changing of 80 players in and out has got to be a, a big challenge. And on top of that, now you're dealing with D-backs or the punter and kicker, the QB, the cornerbacks and the running backs. I mean, all these programs are going to have to be tweaked con considerably compared to the NBA. How, how does that work? Obviously, you've got spreadsheets. You're not by yourself. You're the assistant strength conditioning coach. How does that all work? Yeah, so uh, great question. You know, we do have, we have a staff of five total within the strength and conditioning um, room, I guess you can call it. So we have our head strength coach, Lauren Lando, and then um, there's four of us assistants on staff. And so uh, Coach Lando does the majority of the programming um, for different position groups. And then as a coaching staff, obviously, you know, we're all on the same page and speaking the same language, you know, as far as um, what is necessary for different positions um, and how we're going to run things. And doing all that during COVID, uh, you know, definitely <laughs> threw, you know, a few more curveballs at us uh, that, it was, it's a good thing that we do have a total of five coaches on staff. So we were able to, to manage that situation. Yeah. What were the major uh, accommodations that you had to deal with in regards to the COVID restrictions? How did you work around that? I mean, that's because, I mean, the NFL is probably, I, I won't say untouched, but it was the least uh, gravely affected through this entire past season. You weren't in a bubble. You didn't have to stay in one city. Uh, Definitely, you didn't have fans in many of the uh, the arenas. But uh, when it came to actually training the the professionals, how how did it change for you? Oh man, um, you know I, it changed. You know it's what it feels like it's normal for us now. But looking back, you know it's hard to remember what it was like before COVID. Uh, but the NFL did issue some pretty intense guidelines, and we were fortunate enough where. Our weight room, we have glass doors in the middle of it that close completely. And so we were actually to create, able to create two weight rooms within our one weight room. So we, with those glass doors closed, we had weight room one and weight room two um, because there were guidelines issued from the NFL that only 10 players could be in a weight room at one time. So <laughs> you think about 80 guys and now we can only have 10 players in the weight room. And so we were fortunate, we were able to close those doors and operate as two separate weight rooms. So we were able to have 20 guys total, you know, in, if there was a pre-practice lift, we'd have 10 guys in one room, 10 guys in the other with our coaches. We were separated between the two weight rooms as well, where a lot of teams had to build an outdoor weight room um, and, or just move a bunch of equipment, equipment outside under a tent, uh, you know, in order to comply with the guidelines and get it done. So a lot of it was scheduling, you know, with the guys and making sure that we were able to get everyone in. And during training camp, you know, that meant a lot of times you have three back-to-back -back lifts, um, you know, so 20, 40 or four sometimes to get all 80 of them in um, or one, you know, 
one lifting time before practice and then three after practice where we're just going, you know, straight through, um, you know, on, on the hour essentially uh, with different guys coming in. But then between every session, we have to do deep intensive cleaning, um, you know, before the next group can come in. And so uh, it, it's been an intense process, but again, it feels normal now. Uh, aside from that, you know, things that you don't think about until you're kind of put in the situation is sharing equipment, um, you know, sharing dumbbells, sharing barbells, sharing benches, you know, none of that could happen having players spot each other. Uh, we weren't allowed to have any athletes spot each other. It had to be anything that needed spotting with a coach. Um, so we were running around, running around the room, you know, trying to spot anyone that needed spotted. Or if you're doing like a Nordic hamstring curl, for example, you can't have a player hold the other player's legs, anything where there was contact. And so what we ended up doing and coach Lando did a fantastic job kind of getting this organized. And this was before I got there. Um, he created like stations essentially within each weight room where there was um, a squat rack, dumbbells, um, bands, um, you know, benches, anything that that athlete is going to need during that session where, Hey, you're, if you know, if you were coming in, Hey, Rocky, you're at, you're at rack one today, you're at station one and then everything is your own. So there's no sharing of any kind. Yeah. Wow. I was just thinking <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a tremendous undertaking, and it it caused you to start your day probably a lot earlier yeah. than you normally would because you've got more than just one group to get the the pre uh, the pre training workout in or stay later so that everybody can get their time in. Ah, that must have been something else. Holy yeah, God. and then I mean you take into consideration that masks you know obviously had they have to be worn um during training you know from coaches and players and that can make you know communication um as a coach you know you're not able to see facial expressions um and really you know having to project your voice through a mask and then it changed to as coaches we're wearing we've been wearing masks with a face shield over the mask uh so really when you're coaching a lot of what you're saying is projected straight into the face shield and so it's just been tricky navigating, um, you know, and interacting with athletes um, and not having those normal, you know, coaching relationships or even tactile cueing, you know, was very limited um, because of, you know, not wanting us to, to touch players unless absolutely, you know, necessary for safety. And so it was, we feel like we're prepared for anything. <laughs> you are, you know, I'm thinking about, of course, your mile high stadium. That's where the Broncos play. And, and you're way up in the Rockies where the air is thinner and you're asked to wear masks and, and throw on a face shield on top of that. And then go ahead and do your, your wind sprints or whatever. Let's, well, let's just do some speed agility quickness on the field. It's did, did the players have to wear the masks while training on the field? Yeah. So, um, so let me just to clarify, the players didn't have to wear the face shield. Oh, just the coaches. Just the coaches okay. with the mask plus okay. the face shield. But oh. players did players did have to wear masks um, on the field as well as in the weight room. And so during movement sessions, you know, they did have to have masks on. And oh. it was definitely, you know, not ideal. Um, you know, like you said, we're already at a higher altitude. And so, you know, uh, at the end of the day, you know, we wanted to comply with the NFL and do our best, 
you know, as an organization um, and also to try to keep everyone healthy, you know, throughout the season and not, you know, have COVID, you know, spread across the organization. So we really did have to be very strict um, and follow the guidelines. Yeah, I know that there were teams where it obviously it, it infiltrated and the, there was players that had to take a week or two off. How was it with the Broncos? You know, without naming names or anything, right. you have some that came down with COVID. Yeah, I think I think the only organization in the entire NFL that didn't have a single positive case was the Seattle Seahawks. Um, but every other team at least had one. Um, so I'd say we were among you know, amongst the norm within the league where we had a couple, but we did such a great job with the protocols that in the rare circumstance that we did have a positive test, it didn't spread, you know, across the whole team or across a whole position group. Um, and I think a lot of that was because we were following all the protocols um, to a T. Well, I think the Seahawks are just a bunch of liars. So <laughs> right. I'm just kidding. I, I rescind that. I think they're a spectacular organization. Uh, if you're listening. <laughs> But so, so how has it been for you and in, in being probably one of the few women on the field, definitely the one in the weight room, and how did you, yeah, how did you earn the respect of your peers? And not that you needed to do it any different than anybody else, but of course we got to talk that this is a male dominated sport. So there's going to be probably a little something going on. What was it like? Being the first female coach within the Denver Broncos organization, um, you know, is an incredible honor. And it's something that, you know, I take very seriously. And it's also a huge responsibility, you know, on my end and on the other women that have been given these opportunities, because if we don't perform and we don't earn the respect, you know, of our colleagues and of our athletes, that's going to, you know, make it a lot harder for other women in the future um, to continue to have these opportunities. And so it's of utmost importance that we are able to do those things and earn respect of not only our colleagues, but of the players and that they consider us, you know, to be a coach, just like they consider any other person, you know, that, that's a coach. Um, and so I think, you know, I think, I feel like coming in and having the experience in the NBA, even though it's a different sport, already having experience in pro sport and dealing with, you know, male professional athletes, I feel like I was prepared you know, coming into the NFL, obviously it's a different culture, it's a different environment, and there's four times as many players uh, whose, you know, respect you have to earn, um, but I felt, you know, confident coming into it, and I feel like as soon as you show that you're capable of helping them, you know, improve um, their performance, and you show that you care about them, you know, as people um, as well, and I also feel like a lot of it has to do with the way you carry yourself and the way that you communicate with them. And once they realize like, Hey, she's a coach, you know, she's going to help me, then it doesn't matter. And I've had zero issues. You know, I've been fortunate with both my time in the NBA as well as in the NFL, where there hasn't been one single issue, you know, with an athlete um, not being respectful or questioning, you know, me being there. So I'm very appreciative of that. Yeah. Fabulous. That was so nice to hear. Yeah, because there's there's this kind of uh, almost like a thought that that people are just waiting for for you to yeah. fail so yeah. that 
that they can say, see, women don't belong in the NFL. So that's a tremendous kind of un, almost unspoken burden on your shoulders that you're carrying beyond anybody else. I mean, maybe I'm just making that up, but I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think that there's a, a lot of uh, the fan base that are going, they're scratching yeah. their what's that all about but you you show your worth and every day that you're there i'm sure and and then you give everybody else permission to do the same which is fantastic in, in this season that you've just gone through what were the, some of the things that made you just scratch your head and go i aside from the obvious covid like yeah. at our dinner table where we're sitting at the dinner table every night we we talk about the best part of our day the worst part of our day what the heck, which is basically, what was that all about? What made you go, I had no idea. I, I didn't see that coming. And then we, uh, we have also bud, which is like a flower bud. And we look forward to something blossoming in the future. So I'm kind of curious after this whole season with the Broncos, what was your, what the heck? And, and also what, the bud? what are you looking forward to? Um, man, I think, I think the thing that it was surprising, but not, I mean, going into the sport of football, you know that it's a physical sport, but I think for me, it wasn't necessarily a what the heck, but I've had conversations with other coaches on our staff that until you're there at practice and until you're there on an NFL sideline, I don't think you realize how physical of a sport it really is. Like from a, from a fan's perspective, um, or even, you know, if you're someone that follows football consistently, but I feel like until you're actually in the trenches with the guys and you're on the sideline and you're at practice where you just realize the, the physicality of the sport and then kind of what that means from your approach as a practitioner, you know, to help, help manage that um, and, you know, keep the guys healthy and doing everything we can do on our end. Um, because like, hopefully that makes sense. You know, like I said, everyone knows football is a physical sport, but for me, at least it wasn't until I was, you know, on the sideline that you realize, man, you know, these guys are the amount of volume of hits that they're taking and it's a lot. And so it really, you know, makes you, it makes you realize, you know, what these guys go through, um, you know, in order to play the game, but then also kind of shines a different light on what we can do you know, to help them stay healthy enough, you know, to continue to play, you know, throughout the entire season. So I imagine. And then things you're looking forward to what's uh, within your career or, or uh, on the field, off the field, in the room where. Yeah, absolutely. So um, something that actually just got released this week. So when this comes out next week, I believe uh, there's a, a campaign with Nike and the NFL that I'm not sure if you've seen it yet. Um, that just launched this week that myself and the other women of the NFL were, were all a part of. And it's to raise money and funding through Nike for flag football for girls to be a varsity sport in every single state. And that's something that, you know, truly honored to be part of that initiative. Um, and I'm really looking forward to hopefully seeing that, um, you know, come to light and providing that, helping provide that opportunity, um, you know, for girls to play football. How is that? Are you are you a spokesperson in collaboration with Nike and the NFL for this? Yeah, not necessarily a spokesperson, but um, representing you know the Broncos organization and um, on on the website um, through Nike. There's a link that 
anyone can go to and vote for to have flag football approved. And then Nike is gonna donate $100,000 um, as well as uniforms, all the equipment that's necessary to every state that approves flag football to get funded for girls. And so um, myself and the other women of the NFL, um, we are on, there's a virtual um, combine, so to speak, um, on 11online.com. And it takes girls through um, different drills. Like I go through a dynamic warm-up um, segment on there and some of the other coaches go through football specific drills and um, another strength and conditioning coach within the league goes through some movements in the weight room. Um, so there's, there's educational content that we put together. And then we're also um, hopefully just faces to help inspire you know, the next generation of girls that they can get involved in the sport of football. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. So, no, I hadn't heard of that. So that's, that's a first for me. And how exciting is that? I mean, just to open it up, that, that is great. Seeing that uh, uh, other sports have closed down or, or seeming to, that, that doors can open, especially in the, in the world of football. Wow. And that kicks off when, do you say? So it just launched this like in the last couple of days. So when this episode releases, it'll be within the last week. Um, and I can send you, I'll send you the link to it. Um, so I'm really excited just to watch the progress with that. And I'm hopeful that flag football will be funded, you know, in, in numerous states, if not every state. Um, and aside from that, you know, I'm just hopeful for the future and hope to continue this journey, you know, within the NFL and long-term, you know, do you hope to become a head strength and conditioning coach, um, you know, within the National Football League, so. Yeah, that's marvelous. Okay, well, we'll definitely put all of the, the links in the description, everything with this podcast, so people can can uh, check it out. And if they've got some young female athletes that are looking to do something for the fall semester in school, then they're going to have something to, to definitely look forward to. Um, now, within the Broncos organization, um, they, well, first of all, do you, how do you like living in Denver? I mean, you're, yeah. it sounds like you're San Diego. I mean, California girl almost. Where, where did you grow up? What, what town did you grow up? I'm from Phoenix, Arizona, originally. Oh, man. So you don't know anything about the snow. What's the snow like? How, <laughs> are you into skiing? You know, I haven't been yet, but during the off season, um, so now, now that we're in the off season, rather, I definitely want to ski. I want to learn how to snowboard. Um, you know, I do want to take advantage of all the activities that are at my fingertips that I'm not used to having available. So. Oh yeah. Well, you'll, yeah, you'll be ruined. It's yeah, <laughs> on it. forget about it, but I'm glad you bring up the off season. Cause I'm curious from a strength conditioning perspective, what, what happens in your off season? Obviously there's some, you know, just uh, some downtime, but then when the athletes, they, they can't report back until summer camp, but I imagine you're putting programs together for the off season for them. Is that correct? Yeah. So in a typical off season, um, you know, when COVID is not involved, that's kind of the, the, you know, format and the schedule is, you know, there's some downtime and then there are usually workouts um, towards the end of March, early April, that guys can actually report back to the facility for um, prior to training camp in the summer. So again, that's in a typical year. Um, last season, those were canceled because it was just you know at the start of COVID during that time. And this year, we're still kind of waiting to hear if those are gonna get approved or if everything is gonna have to be done virtually, um, you know, 
in the meantime until training camp. So um, we should be finding that out relatively soon. But like you said, we did put together an off-season training program um, that all of our guys have, um, you know, with everything from movement to actual lifting sessions, recovery strategies, everything in between, where if they are training on their own um, or at a facility, you know, wherever they're spending their time in the off season, they can still follow our program that we put together for them. And is that based on the individual athlete or is it position-based? Like here's all what the running back should be doing or what? Yeah, it's not, it's not individualized per player, um, but it's more, it is uh, positional. So in there, let's say during a movement session, the, the work for certain positions is gonna, are gonna be different than what we're recommending for the other positions. So it is based off of needs for particular positions um, and position groups. And when it comes to positions and in, in, in the um, in-season or pre-season, or even I, I'll say the, the post-season conditioning too, not off-season, but when you guys make it to the playoffs, which the Broncos typically do more, more often than not, um, when it comes to conditioning like that, out of all those positions, which, which positions would you say are the most challenging to create programs for? You know, to be, I mean, to be transparent with you, I don't, I don't really think there's one that jumps out, you know, in particular, like, man, that, that position is really challenging. I think that, like you were saying earlier in the episode, that the positions are so different um, that they're all you know, challenging in their own ways, just looking at what characteristics, um, you know, and qualities that they each, that they each need to have, you know, independently from others. So I think it's a good challenge, um, you know, as a, as a professional, you know, to really kind of get you, uh, you know, it's a good test, you know, as a professional to say, hey, are you, are you able, you know, to program for all these different positions? And, is there an area where it's not as clear and where it's good, you know, to have, and most NFL teams have a large strength and conditioning staff where maybe someone on your staff specializes, you know, working with a certain group of guys or being able to, you know, discuss these things, you know, amongst, um, you know, a group of, of qualified individuals, so. Well, I imagine you pair up certain positions with one another when it comes to strength conditioning programs, like the, the defensive linemen, the offensive linemen, that's kind of, you know, basically compatible when you got, uh, when you got wide receivers and the corners, as well as the, the defensive backs, like the safety secondaries. Um, I imagine, are they in the same kind of category of workouts? Yeah, there's definitely um, similar movement qualities, you know, amongst positions where, like you said, you know, linemen, and for example, are going to have a lot of similarities, whether they're offensive or defensive linemen. So that definitely makes it easier, you know, on us as well. Yes. Now, are there any kind of go-to pieces of equipment uh, aside from the, the typical squat rack that the Broncos have been really utilizing for strength conditioning? I mean, not, not really one thing in particular. We keep, we keep things simple. Um, you know, we're definitely not, you know, the type to try to use, you know, you know, the fancy, you know, let's, 
you know, things you see online and, you know, trying to come up with the latest and greatest, but, um, you know, Coach Lando is definitely, you know, more keep things simple and basic and let's be efficient, you know, with our time when we're in the weight room. Um, so I feel like from a equipment standpoint, you know, one thing that has been very helpful, especially with COVID is we do use uh, power block dumbbells. Yeah. So having power blocks and having the guys able to have their own set of dumbbells, you know, that are just theirs during a workout and able to, to, you know, to interchange, you know, all the way up, um, you know, to 120 pounds, you know, in some cases where, you know, if we didn't have those and we just had, you know, a couple sets of each weight that, you know, that would have been a, a problem um, to deal with. So, you know, I know that that's one thing that really helped us during COVID as far as equipment goes. And uh, has COVID changed the calendar for the upcoming season in terms of, uh, probably not the combine, but uh, a training camp or, or anything like that? Yeah, so we're still waiting to hear, uh, you know, what's going to happen moving forward. Um, so hopefully we'll find out relatively soon. Okay. And then during your off season, uh, I imagine you're, you're still working in the Broncos organization, but it's just that you, it, it seems like it's not as intense, obviously, as that when you're in season, but uh, what are some of the things that you'll do now that you're in the off season compared to when the season begins? Yeah. So right now in the off season, we are at the facility, um, like you mentioned, but there are certain guidelines and limitations from the NFL where there are only a certain number of athletes that are allowed to be at the facility right now. Um, and some of that is due, it's due to a combination of COVID restrictions as well as just rules that are, that are always there during a typical NFL off season. So right now uh, we have all of our guys that are currently on a return to play program coming back from any sort of injury that are allowed to be at the facility um, going through treatment with athletic training and our physical therapists, and then they're able to come into the weight room and work with us. So right now we're, we're seeing all those guys, um, all the return to play guys. And then there are also rules where players that are in market, um, so they're staying in town during the off season, they're allowed to come into the facility with certain restrictions. So we are seeing a few of those guys as well, but those are more hands off where we're not really coaching them. Um, they're allowed to use the facility within a limited capacity um, to go through a suggested, you know, workout from the off-season uh, packet that we gave them. Very cool. And now, of course, strength conditioning coaches, the five of you, you work in concert with other departments, we'll say, or other professionals that help to support the Broncos organization, such as I'm imagining there's probably a team dietitian or nutritionists that are overseeing the, the eating profile or, or supplementations and all those things. But out of, out of all the, the professionals that make up this organization, personally speaking, Emily, what ones are the most, uh, the most engaging or the most fun or the most exciting <laughs> to work with? Oh man. Uh, I'm not I feel like questions here. I, I, I just want to know the nuts and bolts here. <laughs> I feel, I mean, I do value each and every department within our organization and safe answer, safe answer, but come on, let's get down to it. <laughs> um, but I really do. And I think that, I think that one of the biggest, you know, the best way, um, 
you know, to achieve success as an organization, regardless of what sport you're in, and this can apply, you know, the professional or the collegiate setting, is to truly operate as a team within the organization and not operate in silos where, you know, strength coaches stick to themselves, athletic training sticks to themselves, nutrition sticks to themselves, but really as a whole performance department, um, working collectively as a team is going to help, you know, our organization, you know, win, um, but also keep our players healthy and guide them towards success. So I really enjoy working with everyone and I'm not trying to give a safe answer, but I do feel like one thing that, that we do really well as an organization is that we all collaborate uh, between departments. Um, and that's something that I'm really appreciative for, so. Nice, that's really nice. And then um, within the league itself, I imagine combine week, uh, you, you must get together with other strength conditioning coaches from other teams. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if there you had an association of some sort or at least a conference while the combine's going on. Is that true? So typically, I, I believe that's what happens. Um, this year, the combine has changed to um, virtual. So there's not going to be a normal combine this year, unfortunately. But this is obviously, you know, my first NFL season. But from what I've been told in a typical, you know, typical year, um, when the strength coaches are at the combine that they typically get together, you know, meet, talk shop, network, you know, all those things. So hopefully something to look forward to in the future. Well, that would be nice. And uh, well, congratulations on your rookie year. And you're, you've gone you. through it, but it sounds like with flying colors. And, and now the seasoned veteran will start off the 21-22 uh, season. I, I, I could talk for a whole bunch more with you, but I know we're out of time and you've got a whole bunch of, of snowboarding lessons to get underway, I'm sure. <laughs> but Emily, this has been a blast. And I will, I will definitely be a, 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 a promotional tool for anything else that comes your way in the world of, of young girls in sports, uh, flag football, or anything else. Please let me know and we'll put it on the channel as well. But this has been a blast. I really hope you had a good time too. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on and taking the time. Uh, you know, it's been an honor to be on the podcast and it was great to, to meet you virtually. So <laughs> well, who knows, maybe sometime when, when, uh, when Denver opens up a little bit and travel is, is gone, then uh, I've got some friends just outside of Denver and Fort Collins, and there's always a snowboard <laughs> waiting for me. I'll, we'll get up on the slopes. <laughs> Perfect. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Zealous Podcast. I'd like to thank Emily Zaylor and the Denver Broncos organization. If you enjoyed this episode, which I certainly hope you did, make sure you subscribe, and we'll see you next week.